Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Eventually, we will be in His presence forever. So he's talking about that middle section of life. After coming to know Christ and before we're going to be like Christ and we see Him as He is in heaven, we are living this life and He is sanctifying us. The root word of the word sanctify is the same root word that we get our word saint from. You say, I don't feel very saintly. Well, He is in the process of sainting us as we go through life. That more and more we're growing, we're becoming less and less like the world and literally it means this, to be sanctified, sanctified means to be put into a separate category. In the world we are living in, if you are following and obeying the teachings and the tenets of Christianity, if you're following and trying to be an honoring person, person honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in a different category than most of the world that we have around us, most of the people in the world. So we're in a different category. So God calls us to be different. Not to be novel, not to be strange, not to be weird, but to be different for his glory. So that's what he's talking about in this, in this context. Now, there's three primary ways that God furthers us and pushes us and develops us to be more saint-like, to be more sanctified, to be more and more different in him, okay? And we're going to look at the three of these. The first two we're going to cover fairly briefly, and then we're going to get into the practicality because he gives three or four very practical applications of this, okay? And the first application is what we're going to look at in verses 3 through 8 today is our sexuality, how we respond in this world that has, for the, for the most part, a very different view of sexuality than, than we as believers should have. So he talks about that. Verses 9 through 12, he talks about our re interpersonal relationships with people. The end of chapter 4, end of chapter 5, he talks about we should have a different confidence in the future. We shouldn't be living a life that's saying, why does it matter? What, what's this all about? Every life is a waste. No, we have purpose because we have confidence in our future. Then he ends with a little package of, of, of very particular pertinent applications. And then he comes back to where we ended in 23 through 28 of chapter 5 where he prays this prayer that they would be completely sanctified, that they would be wholly sanctified in him. So he gives these practical applications. So I want to get to the practical applications, but I, we have to look at the process first of all. The first one is seen in verse 1. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. That is called, by the way, biblical instruction. We are sanctified through biblical instruction, the teaching of God's word. Now, he's going to mention that in verse 1. He mentions it again in verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. What God has told us in the person of Jesus Christ, we have passed on his commandments. We've exhorted you. We urge you. By the way, exhorting and urging means do this, practice this, put this into your life. We're not just telling you what the Bible says, but we're trying to teach you what the Bible says we should do in response to it, the practicality of it. So it comes through biblical instruction. The great news is we are doing that right now. Unless you've gone to sleep on me out there. Unless you've, unless you've dozed off. Unless you're already figuring out what you're doing for lunch and your mind has drifted off there. And by the way, I've spent a lot of time on your side of this equation sitting there where you sit. I know. It's, so thank you for the attention that you give to the God's Word. And thank you for being part of this conversation. So 
through biblical instruction. Now, there's three mentions of it. First of all, he says in verse 1, Brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. We might say that, keep on growing, keep stretching the boundaries, keep pushing forward, keep, keep moving forward, that we should be different than we were. We're not perfect in this life yet. We'll be, we'll be perfect when we meet the Lord, but we're, we're making progress toward the end goal so that we can live different in this world. Just as you received, past tense, received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you, past tense, through the Lord Jesus. So it is this. Instruction is an ongoing process. It's what we did when we were with you in Thessalonica. It's what we're doing now in letter. It's what you're going to continue to do in the future. We talk about this all the time. At the risk of sounding utterly redundant, let me just tell you this because it's so important. You cannot have, I cannot have, we cannot have genuine, consistent spiritual growth without a steady diet of the Word of God coming into our lives. And I'm happy to prepare and to be with you for 30 minutes or 25 minutes on a Sunday morning or in our life groups that meet on Wednesday or the life groups that meet all the other time. By the way, plug into midweek. We're going to take one week off for this training for care ministry and then pick up one of those sheets. We have four exciting opportunities for you on Wednesday. Your kids have a full program. We'll give you a free meal. How about that? Best deal in town, all right? So you plug into that. But it all is to, for this purpose, so that we'd have a steady diet of the Word of God. We also encourage you, and we give you resources all the time, about how you can be a student of the Word of God, reading and studying it in your own life. Because we need this ongoing process of the Word of God. I know some of you are joining us today by our live stream today. Thank you for being here. We appreciate that. Uh, but uh, for those of us, sometimes we're traveling, sometimes we're ill. We've got a couple people I know said, I can't be there tomorrow because I'm ill. don't want to spread my germs to someone else. Thank you very much. But this could bridge, the online can bridge the gap. So we keep this consistency of study of the Word of God, which is so important. But secondly, look at verse 2. For, we, for you know what commandments we gave you, last prepositional phrase, through the Lord Jesus. This is not just instruction. This is instruction that comes with the full authority of Christ. Instruction that he gives us has the authority of Jesus behind it. This is not man-made. This is not manufactured. This is not any other source than coming directly from Jesus. That's why we hold this as special. It's different. It's coming from God. There's a, there's a spiritual quality to it. I love learning. I, I hope you do too. I, I hope you never learn, lose the, the joy of, of like a little child learning stuff. Uh, I was with my two grandsons recently, and, and it was in the evening. Actually, it was at midweek. We were having our, eating a hot dog the other day over next door. And I said, what would you guys do today? And Benaiah says, I caught a giant salamander. Somehow that didn't seem real exciting to me. But he was so excited. There's woods behind his house. And I said to, to uh, Josiah, what would you do? Well, in the creek, I found a crawdad nest. There were thousands of crawdads in this nest. I'm like, that doesn't thrill me. <laughs> they can just stay in the creek doing whatever it is they, they're supposed to do. But that wonder of, like, discovering something. We discover something that comes to us from the mouth of God himself. Talk about a subject matter expert, okay? Talk about someone who knows his stuff. Talk about someone that can speak authoritatively on what we're discussing. It is him. And then lastly, go down to verse 8. 
Therefore, he who rejects this does, does not reject man, but, re, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. This instruction is not to be rejected. This, this instruction is not to be rejected. We, we move forward in it, and it is to go through. So three things that we can learn from this instruction. Instruction is an ongoing process. Number two, it has the authority of Christ, and it is not to be rejected. Now, let me give you a question. Because I'm going to go back to these three questions I'm going to give you. When it comes to the practicality, and we'll get to the one in this subject matter today in just a moment. First question to ask is this. When it is decision time, ask, what has God said on this subject? What has God said? When it is decision time, bring up that next question if you will. I want folks to see it in front of them, please. What it, when it is decision time, ask this question. What has God said to us? And you might say... Well, on this particular subject, I don't know what he has said. The great news is that is entirely fixable because he's given us a book that contains the vast majority of what God wants us to know. And if there's a subject that you don't know what God has said on the subject, you be involved in ongoing teaching. Thank you, like, for being here today. But also, you can find this out for yourself. There's great resources that you can find to find out what God said. So what has God said? And most of what he has said on a particular subject, we probably already know. So, sanctified through biblical instruction. Secondly, sanctified by seeking to live a life pleasing to God. Go back to verse 1. Just as you receive from us, last phrase, how you ought to walk, walk is a, is, a, is a metaphor for living, life, how you ought to walk and to please God. Above all other things that we do, if we're going to be different in this world, we have to live a life that we try to please our God. What brings pleasure to Him? And a couple subpoints just to get this on the screen. Number one, our lives are to be lived for His pleasure, not ours. Oftentimes, the natural setting, the default setting of life is we live for our own pleasure. We just have this built into us. My grandsons like catching salamanders and crawdads. That's what they enjoy doing. It's, it's, it's pleasurable to them. We have things that are pleasurable to us. And most of those things are not wrong to us. But we need to be, as we're growing and maturing in Christ, it's like, what is pleasing to you? What puts a smile on your face? Which leads to the next section, which is simply this. Live for his glory, not ours. It's not about me making a big scene. It's not about me having a covering a big area. Not to be being an influencer. Not about us accomplishing something. But the spotlight would be on God himself. Lord, I want my life to just reflect well on you. And when others see me, I want them to see something of what you're doing in me. They're not going to see perfection, but I trust, Lord, that they're going to see progress. And that leads us to question number two. When is decision time? Ask, with what is God pleased? What I'm thinking about doing A, B, or C, and those choices that are in front of me, with what would God be pleased in that? What would honor his heart? What would bring pleasure to him? Not me. What would bring glory to him? Not me. Okay? All right. That's two-thirds of this process. And I want to spend the rest of our time today on the third part of the process because we have a very practical application in front of us. And it's simply this. We are sanctified through biblical instruction. Number two, we're sanctified through pleasing God. And thirdly, we're sanctified through counter-cultural obedience. That simply means this. That we obey God even when it's out of sync and out of harmony and out of touch with the society, the world, the culture that is around us. And so much of what God calls us to do is out of sync with the world. That's the reason we've titled this message, Live Differently Every Day. Differently. 
uniquely, separately, because God is sanctifying us and changing us to live differently in this world bit by bit, process by process, experience by experience as we receive biblical instruction, as we live to please Him. That's our motivation, live to please Him, not ourselves. And then we, when we come to this point where we're going to just do things differently than the world does them. And this is what he says in verse 3. Notice, I love how he begins this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is what God wants. This is what he wants for us. This is what he wants us to be different. Your sanctification, that process, that God-designed process, all right, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, it's important for us as believers when we talk about intimacy and sex and we talk about this part of our lives, we, we want to be frank. We don't want to be graphic, but we want to be frank because the Bible is not bashful to talk about this subject. This is, this is part of our lives. We, we understand that. So we talk about it in a proper manner, but he says, this is what we need to avoid. This is how we stand different from the world. He says, it's, it's the will of God for your sanctification that you should abstain, avoid, stay away from sexual immorality. Now, the word immorality is an interesting one. In the Greek is the Greek word porneia. It's the word you get pornography from in our modern uh, terminology. It means a vast array of any sexual sins, things that are outside of God's will. Now, when we come to the subject, we think about countercultural obedience. We have to know something about our culture. We need to understand something about our culture when it comes to the sexual mores of our day. And it seems like we are extremists all the time. This is true in the first century, all right? When Paul's writing this to believers in the first century A.D., okay? Probably around 60 A.D., probably about 30, 35 years after Jesus was crucified. So he writes them in the, into this culture. In their culture, there was one group of society that said that, that we need to totally restrain ourselves in the way to, to please a god or to please a deity or to earn God's favor was to abstain from everything. In other words, sex is bad. It's evil. Since it can get you in trouble, get you in sin, just avoid every expression of it. Just stay away from it. Well, that is legalism, and that does not make us any more righteous with God. What we do, we understand that we are saved by God's grace, what's what Jesus did for us on the cross, accepted by faith, not by any works of ours. Then there's the other extreme. This was the predominant cultural mode of their day, which was sex, do whatever you want. You know, don't make, make sure people don't get hurt, but whatever you want. There are no, there are no standards. There's no, there's no restraint. Do whatever you want. Whatever you feel like doing, whatever your desires do, just do it. In fact, the gods and the goddesses of the Greek culture, they, there, was, there was no morality attached to them, okay? So in other words, if you became a religious follower of Zeus or some other god, that you were not expected to live differently, particularly in your area of your sexual expression, because you're religious. In fact, most of those, many of those religions it, it wanted you to express your sexuality in every sort of way. And one of the common themes, and this seems so mind-blowing to us, that several of these pagan religions would have ritual prostitutes in the temple, and if you wanted to serve God, you would go there and engage with a prostitute, and that was part of what was accepted in their culture. We say, that's mind-blowingly corrupt. And I would say, you're right. Have you looked around at our culture in 2022? We might say it is mind-blowingly corrupt in many ways. So there was no... And by the way, the gods were not looked... At, you, you weren't, because you were religious, you weren't expected to be sexually pure because the gods weren't. They were a mess as well. If you read the story of the gods, they were, you know, this one's chasing after this woman and these people. and this, you know, it's just, It was just a horrible mess of morality. 
So you had these two cultural things. Sex is bad. Anything goes. But the biblical teaching is simply this. By the way, God invented sex. It was not something that came out of the 60s of the sexual revolution or anywhere else. Could I just be, I'll be frank but not graphic. This is how we all got here, okay? We understand that. So this was God's idea, God's purposes. And within the confines of what God sets for us as being proper and pure, it is a wonderful, blessed, beautiful thing. And it's what God decides. So, so it is simply this. Here's the, here's the boundaries, all right? Here's the boundaries. And it's simply this. Number one, avoid relationships with God, which God condemns. And secondly, channel your passions in the right direction. That's number two. Channel your passions in the right direction. So there's the boundaries. Within the boundaries that God has approved, enjoy. Be blessed. Be, be fulfilled with that. Outside of the boundaries which God has prescribed... Abstain with that, and that's what he's saying in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Stay within the boundaries. Stay within the boundaries. And we as Christians in our Christian culture, maybe you grew up in a Christian setting, maybe you've, you, know, I, you, you may have come from different settings than I did or whatever, but in some settings, we, we never talk about this stuff. We would just skip over. Let's get, to chap, let's get to the second coming of Christ. That's the end of chapter 4. Let's skip that part. Let's, let's kind of read it and get to the end. You know, we don't want to talk about that. Or you maybe grew up in a situation where you had no boundary lines. There were no guardrails along the fence. And I also know when you talk about this subject, sometimes it, it produces some undue guilt. Because what one of us, remember now, when it comes to our sexuality, there's two realms. There's the realm of our minds, and then there's the realm of the real, interacting with other people. And in both of those settings, it can be immoral or it can be proper. So, so however it goes. But, but what, at least in the realm of our mind, not one of us, I don't think, have probably have a passing grade in our lifestyle. But the Thessalonians had come from this pagan world where they were into everything and anything. And he says to them, here's what I'm writing you. If you really want to be growing in Christ, if you want to be countercultural in your obedience, then you avoid sexual immorality of every kind. And when it comes to the past, he doesn't address that because that's under the blood of Christ. All you can do about the past is seek God's forgiveness and put your energies into living for Christ today in a way that he's pleased. And the great thing is he will do that. He will bring us, he will bring us to that. Now you think in our world today, you think about sexual immorality, well, I don't have, we don't have a temple of Zeus and a, you know, a, a goddess here and all these sort of things like they had in their world. And remember I shared with you about their, a few weeks ago about their particular hero God. Well, our heroes aren't necessarily in pagan temples. Our heroes are on the sports field or on the social media or, or in Hollywood or somewhere like that. And for the most part, there are, there are exceptions to the rule. God bless them. But for the most part, we don't have a real wholesome example out there in the quote-unquote heroes of our world like they did. So God calls us back to do this. Now, let's look a little deeper in this. He just tells us what to abstain. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. There's two ways to understand this phrase, own vessel. That could be your own body, your own vessel, the, the, the vessel that you live in, this, this, this body that God has given you that sustains life in this world, in this sphere that we're in. And it, as, long as, it's, as long as it's functioning, can support life, we are in this status. So he says your own vessel. Know how to, how to, to restrain yourself properly. But also it could mean that vessel, your own vessel, could be, for those that are married, that is your spouse, your husband, or your wife. That terminology could be seen other places in Scripture as well. So within the confines of your own marriage, 
your own relationship. And if you're single, that's, that, that's your particular status in life at this point. So he says, within that, you know how to bring sanctification and honor into this situation. That sounds countercultural, doesn't it? Even as I say it, it sounds a little out of sync with today's world. Because the expectation is, this is what the world out there expects. The world expects that there's not going to be anyone that's even going to care about trying to be sexually pure before marriage or save yourself for marriage. I mean, that's just, we don't, why would you even consider something like that? Or, after marriage, to say, to be, you know, remain faithful to one person for your lifetime and to limit your sexuality within the confines of marriage. I mean, how does that happen? You know, if this marriage isn't fulfillment, just cash it in and start another. Or, or, or look outside your marriage for your own sexual fulfillment. And that, remember, that's to take place in the realm of the real with an illicit relationship. It can take place within the realm of the mind. If we're, you know, if we're giving ourselves over to image and, 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 and pornography or any other kind of fantasy that takes us outside of where God would be honored, then that's where the limits and where the lines are drawn. So both for your marriage, if you're married, or for yourself with yourself, know how to limit yourself so that these things are in place. And you remember God talks about it in his top ten list. His top ten list of no-nos, if you want to say it that way, the Ten Commandments, he says, don't commit adultery. If you're in a marriage, that is where you remain faithful and don't go outside those bounds. And I would simply say to you, if you're married here today, I know there's temptations in this world, and I don't know what record got you here, but, but work on where you are now, okay? And simply this, when we are pushed and we're pulled by the world and temptation is very close to all of us, here's where you put your emphasis. This is where you put your energy. Put your energy into building the relationship that God wants to bless, and that's the relationship you're in now. With God's help, make it better. With God's help, seek him to move better. And I understand. Uh, Julie and I have been married plus 40 years. And I would love to tell you that we've had every moment has been idyllic and loving and without any conflict and without any problem. That also would be a big lie. Marriage is tough because you're confronted with your own, your own flaws. And you can certainly see the flaws of somebody you're sharing life up close and personal with. But the ideal is that both people would be united together in Christ. We're growing in Christ. We work out our problems in Christ. We lean on him. We have lots, lots of resources when we get to those stumbling blocks and those tough points to get over and to, to, to honor God to that. So invest in the relationship you're in, the one that God wants to bless in your life. So that's that channel your, your, your passions in the right direction. So he says to us, that no one, verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is avenger of all such. And, and we also forewarn you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. He's saying not only is there an effect, if you're outside of the proper bounds of sexuality, which is reserved for uh, between marriage... And now we live in a world that redefines everything with such rapidity that we can't even keep up with how we would define it. That's what the world does. Where do we put our energy? We put our energy simply in this. Avoid the relationship that God condemns and then pursue and channel our passions in the right direction. But he's, there's, not only does it hurt us, but also there, by, by nature, if you're in a relationship with somebody you shouldn't be in a relationship with intimately, then you are also affecting that person. You're defrauding someone else. And we would all, you know, we understand that. If someone close to us were, 
we're, we're, we're being seduced by someone outside of marriage, you know, that's defrauding me. That would be defrauding you. We understand that. He's saying you're hurting people. This is hurting people. And by the way, beyond sex, God's put into us the greatest longing on a human level is to connect deeply and intimately with someone else. Sex is not just a physical act, but it's that which is an expression of, it should be an expression of, the emotional bondage that takes place ultimately within the parameters of marriage as God dictates it. Between one man and one woman, ideally for a lifetime. So, let's, let's think this through for just a moment. This, 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 that what God has designed is simply this. A person who just gives themselves to having sex with multiple partners or has a, a record where there's no restraints, they may have enjoyable experiences, but inevitably that person will wind up emotionally bankrupt because they're missing the best part of life, which is living life with another person, enjoy, enjoying fully that intimacy. God desired for us to connect. That's the reason after God created everything that was made and God said everything is good, everything is very good, he makes one statement that was not good. He said it's not good for the man that he had made. It's not good for the man to be alone. So he makes a woman and brings it to him, and that is the perfect pattern that God has for us. And I know this brings up all sorts of issues. I'm married, I'm, I'm not married, but I'd really like to be. Well, turn that over to God, but these parameters still fit. Or I am single again and never wanted to be here. Well, you, you start building your life from this point forward. You're married and maybe you say, it's been a rocky road and troubled and I'm not sure this is going to work. You come and put the parameters in place that God wants you to have and trust him to see you build your life. And the sanctification that takes place for you and your spouse comes from biblical instruction, not pleasing me, but pleasing God, and also living countercultural in our obedience. So we have, you know, we have all sorts of different parameters and different experiences, but it comes back to this reality that these are the two things that God wants us to do in this particular reality, in our sexuality, that God wants us to be living away the way that we should. And he ends it with this little statement with verse 8. Therefore, he rejects this. If you're not listening to this, not paying attention to this, you're just trashing this, you're disposing of this. If you reject this, therefore, he rejects this, does not reject man. I'm just talking to me, Paul. I'm writing a letter, but it's not me. That's not who you're rejecting. But God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. And by the way, he is the key agent of sanctification. Justification is what God does to us, to us through Christ. Sanctification is what God is doing through us through the Holy Spirit who lives within us and changing us. Third question. Let me go over the first two questions. When it is decision time, and maybe decision time is when that person that shows a little interest in you but's outside the framework of where you should be considering having a relationship. Or maybe it's within the confines of am I going to click that link or not? Am I going to type in that website address or not? When it's decision time, number one, ask, what has God said? Lord, before I move forward, what have you said? It's pretty obvious what he said in this particular parameter. Secondly, ask what with what is God pleased? God, would you be, if, if I just had the view that you're watching right now, which he is, would you be pleased with what you're seeing? And number three, here's the question. And I want you to think this one through as well. Go ahead and bring up that question. What, when it's decision time, ask, ask this. What is the opposite of the world's pattern? What is the standard operating procedure of the people out there in the world? And pretty much you do the opposite. 
and you'll be in a place where God honors. Why does God call us to be different in this world? Well, part of it is to give, put us in a better place, to give us greater fulfillment, greater safety. And you think about this, a person who is in a marriage and they're expressing fully sexually, and by the way, it should be full expression. Maybe some of us need to spend a little more time in the bedroom than we have. Perhaps that's your takeaway today. And yeah, you can quote me on that. But, but also, it's where the real fulfillment takes place, to put your efforts into that relationship and to build it with emotional connection and physical connection and just have the joy of living life together and changing and growing together. It's more than just the physical. It's certainly an expression of a deeper whole. So this is the pattern that God has for us. And he wants us to live counterculturally for our benefit, our fulfillment, but also to live counterculturally so that people could say there's something different about these people. There's something strangely different about these people. There's something odd about these people, but there's something also compelling about these people. They seem to have joy. They seem to like each other. They seem to stand on principle. They seem to represent someone higher than themselves. And that becomes an opportunity for us to be light in this world, which is filled with an extreme amount of darkness. Ask those questions. And may the, it's my prayer for you. I'm going to pray this in just a moment. That God will take those three questions that we've just kind of inserted into our thinking this morning. And may those three questions come rushing into our mind. May the Spirit of God tap us on the shoulder when it is decision time of whether we're going to do or not or whether we're going to not or we're going to do. In every venue of life, but particularly in regards to our sexual expression. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the Scriptures. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.